My name is Emily Ortega San Martin, and my topic for this podcast is on representation in TV, specifically on the Netflix series When They See Us. Quotation, open quote. When they say boys, they're not talking about us. They're talking about other boys from other places. When did we ever get to be boys? End quote. Raymond Santana, played by Freddie Miatis, When They See Us. A brief summary. When They See Us is a 2019 Netflix series directed by Ava DuVernay based off of the real-life 1989 Central Park Jogger case. It delves into the lives of the five individuals who were prosecuted and then wrongfully convicted for the sexual assault and rape of jogger Trisha Maley in New York City. Although the six of them were convicted, the series only follows the five who will be named in the following. 14-year-old Kevin Richardson, played by Asante Black. 14-year-old Raymond Santana, played by Marquise Rodriguez. 15-year-old Antron McRae, played by Khalil Harris. 15-year-old Yusuf Salam, played by Ethan Harris. And finally, 16-year-old Corey Wise, played by Jarrell Jerome. Santana and Salam were both sentenced and served six years and eight months in juvie. Kevin Richardson was sentenced and served seven years in juvie. Antron McRae was sentenced to five to ten years and served six years in juvie. Corey Wise was sentenced to six to fifteen years in prison. He would serve thirteen and was sent to Rikers Island. So delving right into the first topic, media and its depiction of minorities, um, throughout the entire series we can see the tremendous effect that the media has in the portrayal of these boys and the case. It demonstrates the role that the media outlets had on depicting them as grown men, criminals, and other slander that was most notably used before the trial, but also during it. These depictions regurgitated the stereotypical archetypes often associated with minority groups in America specifically Hispanic and African-American communities, and even more so their men, which are more often incarcerated here than any other group. The idea that these communities are equated to criminals was a common thought throughout the decade, although it still exists today, and created a stigma between inner-city kids like the boys in the series and middle-class Wall Street communities. Due to this, they were often subjugated to racialized language and were dubbed drug dealers, rapists, monsters, often associating inner-city youth as grown adults like they did during the case. By doing this, it made it easier to accuse, blame, and humiliate them without worrying about the perceptions of innocence as we see with other non-minorities who have committed crimes. The media in America has always been notorious for its biased depictions of minority groups in relation to crime due to the news value that these crime stories often carry. In particular, even presently, during the 80s and 90s, a huge moral panic amassed throughout the country due to the threat of inner-city youth and their association with drugs, crime, and gangs. We can see this reflected in the show through the manner in which the public, police, and public figures react and focus their attention towards the case in fear and anger. This is focused on a particular scene in which each of the boys are being interrogated and brutal racialized language is used against them when being coerced. While they are on trial and were receiving 
trial dates, the images that were taken of these five boys also had a huge role in the media's construction of who these boys were, what happened, and who was guilty. This was generated by their mugshots and perp walk where many of these photos were taken and used in the papers to further indulge in the claim of racist archetypes which angered and humiliated them rightfully so, their families and their communities. Many news stories catered to the us versus them narrative, whether it was inner city youth versus middle class or the community versus gang youth, which had obvious negative effects on their case as we see in the series but also on the community of youth. What was also interesting is that similar cases of rape, sexual assault, abuse, and murder occurred in the weeks leading up to Trisha Miley's attack, but were given little to no coverage. This is not to deter the cruelty or severity of her tragedy, but to highlight the media's bias in coverage. They found a woman who was sexually assaulted in Central Park more interesting and newsworthy than a woman sexually abused and thrown out of an apartment complex the same week in the Bronx because of the nature of the victim. Miley was a wealthy woman who worked on Wall Street, and people typically didn't think that those type of individuals passed through those ordeals. Moving on to the next topic, news media and its depiction of youth culture. So, black and Hispanic youth culture was quite prominent in the 80s, with the emergence of hip-hop, slang, fashion, technology, and dance that accompanied the youth wherever they went. As it grew and reached newer audiences in the non-black Hispanic majority, it gained a negative response. As with other things, these newfound traits of youth culture began to be associated with youth crime and delinquency. Even though their youth culture had no direct correlation to delinquency, as in people didn't commit crimes because of hip-hop but because of systemic issues that were larger than themselves, it was still highly associated with it. Similarly to punk and rock music being associated to the devil and such. We see this at the beginning of the series where various aspects of New York City youth culture are shown to us before their arrest, which was taken by the media and then utilized against them. The media did not bother to acquire the cultural capital regarding their culture and instead creatively made up its own mind about it. What's being particularly referred to is the term wildin, which is used in the series meaning to have fun, act crazy with a group of friends. As seen in part 1 and 2, cops and lawyers and media outlets especially defined it as wilding and associated it with gang-related activity. Having a similar definition to Google's, which is the activity of gang youths going on a violent rampage in a public space and attacking people at random. This definition soon became something that the media utilized to brand the exonerated five as animalistic, wild, and criminal, effectively using their own youth culture against them. This association effectively removes the aspect of black and Hispanic youth as being young, capable of innocence, and being boys. To tie the previous topics together, this next part of the podcast will focus on the effects and social consequences that occur during the misrepresentations of Black and Hispanic communities. So, I believe misrepresentation occurs when the people in power or in a dominant social structure utilize bias, 
stereotypes, archetypal notions, and attempt to portray them as real and as a consensus of society, meaning essentially what society believes in as a whole. Media depictions of Black and Hispanic minorities really reflected and regurgitated the beliefs and sort of dictated the perspective of how society, at least in New York City, should view not only these boys, but also all Black and Hispanic kids. This image was effective, so much so that the overseeing prosecutor, Linda Fairstein, demanded, as seen in the series, that all Black and Hispanic kids who were in Central Park be taken in and interrogated. So she was basically racial profiling everyone there. In the series, the effects are immediate for the Exonerated Five. Anger and major backlash ensues from the public as a response to the media's portrayal before the trial is even set, fueling the us-versus-them mindset and consequently hurting their prospects of remaining innocent in the eyes of the public and, most importantly, the law. This influenced the perspective of the jury so much so that despite no solid evidence against them, and coerced testimonies under terrible conditions, the jury still found them guilty. The public, on the hand, without seeing any evidence, testimonies, eyewitnesses, DNA tests, etc., still seemed to have their minds swayed about the verdict, which was guilty. The media's portrayal ruined their lives at that point on and changed society's outlook on them, which was that they were guilty of a crime they didn't commit. So now they were no longer innocent boys, but criminal rapists. It was also confirmed. It has also confirmed what particular groups of people already thought about Black and Hispanic youth in general, which is that they were criminals and other racist stereotypical ideals. What was instigated by the press began to be interpreted as reality, and so now Black and Hispanic communities were further stigmatized and frowned upon. It's safe to say a clear message was being sent out, which was that the justice system, the police, and society would not serve them nor protect them. Rather, they would always be ready to incarcerate and kill them. They were not on their side. We see this in the interrogation scene with a tense conversation between Antron McRae and his father, where he tells him to lie to the police in order to be set free, which was a lie. We also see it again when Raymond Santana tells the other boys as they sit in jail and await the trial date that the police aren't there to help them, but rather lie on them and kill them. It was an effective type of representation because the political and social attitude towards these communities were largely about control, regulation, segregation, and extermination. They had huge social anxiety over the so-called drug wars, and rebellious riots like in LA, and thus the decade had already built up this tension in them and against these inner city communities. As well, I think that the dominant forms of media representation for Black and Hispanic youth at the time was the news. It was there, and they were constantly being shown for various crimes and gang-related activities 24-7. And this representation not only negatively reflected them in communities where they are minorities, but also the individuals who live and are constantly exposed to it. So constantly seeing people who look like you and being represented in that way would have a negative effect on kids growing up in that city. 
And it sort of ties into the idea or theory made by F.R. Levy's in which the conception, consumption of certain media and images directly correlates with the social effect which reflects it. So moving on to the second last topic, um, the question I decided to ask myself was who holds the power of representation? So in the series we see again and again that the exonerated five and their families are often left powerless in the face of the media. Their images taken from them, interpreted in whichever form benefits the pre-existing structures of power and society's preconceptions and utilizes this to maintain the news value in their stories. It also reconfirms their bias about inner city communities and fits into the narrative that they were pushing, further swaying the public into moral panic. In the series, we see that Wall Street-type individuals like Donald Trump and individuals who can afford to maintain negative images of certain minority groups do so. Donald Trump took out an ad in a couple of newspapers um, pleading for the death penalty before the trial had even started. And this sadly can steer communities away from progress and understanding. Instead, by preserving the relations of power that are pre-existing, they are able to benefit financially and socially and implement their ideologies and interests. And this is referring to these Wall Street individuals and also media companies. We can also see in the series that news sites were not interested with the actual truth of the crime, but rather interested in stirring up stories that were brutal and attention-worthy in order to draw interest and make more money, which is why few question the lack of evidence, the cruel treatment of officers, the forced testimonies, or anything that would have clearly led to questions about the validity of who was being prosecuted. If they had done so, perhaps they would have been able to save other victims that would be attacked weeks and months after Trisha Miley's attack by the same perpetrator. The constant racialization, racialization and negative portrayal of these boys and boys who look like them were normalized. For example, the thought that they're all gangsters and ignoring and even hiding the social history and complex systems that put people in those positions in the first place, along with strong neoliberal ideologies which reminded people that success or failure was dependent on themselves and not the system. The final topic of this podcast is what effect do shows like When They See Us have on representation? Um, I think shows like When They See Us sort of counteract the negative stereotypes that have been placed on the exonerated five and individuals in the black and Hispanic community. The series shows what they actually were, teenage boys who were afraid, confused, and taken advantage of by a system that was supposed to help them. The series effectively did what most outlets did not do at that time and even recently, which is to tell the truth the reality of the situation rather than take it at its face value. It demonstrates to its audience that black and Hispanic communities were constantly racialized and under attacked by the justice system and the police. 
it portrayed them as the exonerated five and showcased that there were and are always more sides to the story. As well, that it shows that individuals like them are capable of being innocent, of being non-criminal or violent, and they showcase their humanity, which was taken from them as kids, and thus represented not only the exonerated five, but every other member of the black and Hispanic community. I think it also aids in representing these inner city communities in a different light, especially poorer neighborhoods like the Bronx and Harlem, where people there are capable of having success, of overcoming boundaries and hardships, and obtaining things like good education and jobs, which were often against expectations in the 80s. Um, through the series, the portrayal of the Exonerated Five allows them to be able to retake that power and tell their stories accurately without the news media, something that has been occurring for decades and has continued to occur in these communities. It also served as a visual representation. The cast was diverse in representing Black and Hispanic families and what it was like to be living in a poor neighborhood with little protection and still try to be a teenager and be a part of a community, showing what it meant to be Black and Hispanic in America in 1989 tossing aside preconceptions and notions of what other people may have thought. It also serves as a warning about taking in the media at its face value and having a sort of mob mentality because that's essentially what pushed the scene into play the most. Thank you for listening to my podcast and have an amazing day.